concerned. I'm just seeing all this like crazy background noise for no reason on my uh, my feed here. Maybe there's a kitty that's its aura is stuck to you because you didn't pet it. I I tried to pet all of them. <laughs> uh, so or, you are, or maybe because you did pet it, it's stuck to you. <laughs> ah, there you go. That's okay. That's probably more likely with a I'm, cat. I'm good with animal spirits. Uh, they're all fantastic. Um, so this is the New Utah Podcast. Uh, if you have stumbled upon this magically and didn't know the name, now you do. Don't know how that would have happened, but uh, here we are. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. Uh, we also have with us Bree. Hi. Jeremy. Hello. Jessica. And uh, Jessica's mic is off. Hold on. It's turned off. Oh, I got it. it. There Sorry. we go. Uh, and, I'm uh, back. <laughs> a guest host today, uh, Raven. Uh, Hello. Or Raven. Uh Ravens. And second yeah. guest host. And, and second guest host uh, is uh, is Ron. And no, it's Bernie. Bernie. Ron left. Bernie. See, I wrote him <laughs> down, but then when I stopped. <laughs> so you guys will hear later as we started to interview uh, the fine folks here at Summum. Uh, I uh, started to write their names down, and then no one talked, and so I had to stop writing. Oh, and, and you and wrote then, them backwards? Yeah, I wrote That's them okay. in the wrong order. We That's have Bernie okay. with us from Summum. Thanks for joining. You do look right. more like a Bernie than a Ron, so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not only thanks for joining us, thanks for letting us crash your place, because we are actually at his facility this evening. And his, his home. And his home. Our pleasure. It is, it is a beautiful area. How much of this area do you guys, I know we didn't ask this question, but how much of this area is, is yours? Because we, we saw, is it just this immediate buildings right here? Yes, just this immediate building. And then you have one neighbor? One little one neighbor. neighbor. That's mm-hmm. rad. Nice. That's nice, my kind of neighborhood. Nice neighbor that's nice and quiet for do you. Do you use any of the other buildings around here? No, those aren't anything you guys do. No. Yeah, okay. No. So uh, we, we will uh, we will talk to Bernie, Sue, and and uh, Ron at length later uh, about about Sumum. Um, but this is a show about Utah, so um, and all things Utah. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Utah itself first. Episode one eighty four. I'd like to throw that in. Oh, Episode post Christmas first. What? Or Thanksgiving, Post I mean. Thanksgiving, <laughs> pre-Christmas. <laughs> it's now officially Christmas. Christmas yep. threw up on my house yep. last Friday. <laughs> um, you know, after, so Thanksgiving, I smoked probably the best turkey I've smoked. Oh my gosh, it's uh, so, so juicy. It was really amazing. Uh, pat myself on the back for that one. <laughs> Good job. We had, go. uh, we had um, long, hard discussions with Bree's mom about her. Uh, horrible boyfriend again uh, at Thanksgiving dinner. They're not married yet. That, they they better no, not they're, get they're hopefully still broken up. I oh, <laughs> we question it. It's it's a thing. It's uh, not what the holidays are for. She yeah. goes, I don't know why everybody keeps telling me how awful he is. I just don't think he's awful. I'm like, well, if everybody keeps telling you, maybe you should stop and pay attention to <laughs> something. You, you know, if everyone says something's bad for you, maybe. Um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, no. So I worked pretty much all weekend. Uh, like 12 hours on Friday, 12 hours on Sunday. Friday, so we had the crazy snow on Wednesday and Thursday on Thanksgiving itself. Uh, and then Friday, it was like, nice, all morning. And around one thirty, I was like, crap. I left stuff at the office that I had to have to do my job. And like, of course, he comes up and it had, like, it was just... And Bree's like, you're kidding, right? I'm like, no, it'll be fine. And she goes, have you looked outside? Because <laughs> <laughs> he'd been in the, the basement. Well, he'd been in the basement, and so he hadn't really been paying attention to how much snow had actually fallen. But I drove in it anyway, because I needed to desperately get what I left at the office. And uh, so anyway, that was my entire Thanksgiving weekend, pretty much, was working. So, but You took off Thanksgiving to cook. That was it. Jeremy, 
I, I have to ask <laughs> because I got a I got a picture from Jeremy. So little backstory. Um, a few weeks ago. Uh, well, even further the back than that. Well, so a, a, a few years ago, we had bought a sled for the girls. Now this is when uh, not even just a few, a long time because like, they're twenty two like and nine. nineteen now. <laughs> okay, so like probably eight plus years ago, uh, I had bought a sled for the girls for Christmas, and it was a really it's cool a nice sled. sled. But it's like, keep in mind, it's like eight years old probably at this point. Um, but we forgot to give it to him because we had hit it in the rafters of the garage <laughs> and then we had bought it like really early. And then when Christmas time rolled around, we totally forgot about it. Yeah. And, and so it sat in the rafters and then the next year we're like, Oh crap, there's that sled we never gave him. We should give it to him. And, and then, then we forgot too. about it. And then at that point they weren't the age that they would use a sled. Yeah. So it's just been sitting in our garage in the rafters, brand new, unused. And I'm like, we need to get rid of this. And I'm like, Brie goes, Maybe one of Jeremy's kids wants it. Maybe Jonathan will still use it. Because he's so. still he's still of the age, and he he's an outdoorsy kid. He's not yeah. a. So I I asked Jeremy a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, hey, would Jonathan like this thing? I don't know if he still does sleds. If not, then and I actually loves. remembered when he was at our house, and, <laughs> which and, is half the battle. And Jeremy's like, oh yeah, we go through a sled like at least one a year. And we're like, he would love it. This okay. is a really cool sled. So we pulled it down, got the cobwebs off of it, the literal cobwebs. Probably <laughs> uh, some dead and, spider and Jeremy bodies. Took it, but I get a picture <laughs> this weekend from Jeremy, and he's like, there was an epic sledding adventure, and this it's just a picture of the sled in pieces in the garbage can. In the garbage can. can. So, so. So probably three, four years ago, there's a hill down in Harriman where we had taken Jonathan sledding. And so he was still pretty little at the time. He went down the hill one time, uh, and then somebody else came along, ran him over. Uh, he did the ragdoll thing in the air, and he has been scared of this hill ever since. So now we fast forward to now. He's older. He's 11, almost 12. So I bring home this sled two or three weeks ago, whenever it was that you gave me. And he saw it, and he was so excited because it's really cool. It has the little handbrakes on the side. Had. So, had. had. So, so really <laughs> nice sled. So so he's all excited about it. In fact, the dad brought it home. He's dragging the dogs around the backyard. There was no snow, but he's dragging the dogs around the backyard. <laughs> he's all excited for it. This and is then, why we like to give Jeremy some things because he actually takes them, uses and them, uses and appreciates them. them. <laughs> so then when it does start start to snow th- through last week, he is super excited and asking, can we go study? Can we go study? Can we go study? And we're like, okay, well, not today. Today's Thanksgiving, but t- tomorrow we'll take you tomorrow. So like he's up super early <laughs> to like go study. 6 a.m. He's like, are you guys ready to take me? We want to go study. We want to go study. At this point, he had been taking the dogs all around the backyard with snow, so he's getting it all prepped and ready to go. So, so we're like, "Where do you want to go?" And he's like, "Well, I want to go to the hill, that big hill, the hill that he was at one time scared of." But now that he had this sled, nothing to be scared of because this thing had brakes, it has everything. So, so we get over there and we've got some of his friends. We take some of his friends with us, and you know, he scopes it out and he finds the best spot on this hill. And the kids had packed kind of a jump down at the bottom, <laughs> not a big jump, but. But still a jump at the bottom. And so they're all geared up and they're all ready and his friends are all cheering him on. And so he gets a nice running start and he starts heading down this hill. Fast, 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 fast. He hits this jump, he goes up, he comes down and that sled just shatters. <laughs> just. Yep. Pieces. I mean, it was I mean, plastic. I believe it's not. So and one of the hand. Plastic. One of the handbrakes. Jonathan didn't shatter. No. no, he didn't. One of the handbrakes gone. We couldn't even find it. It just, it flew off. <laughs> But all of the kids on the hill and his friends are all just cheering. Ah, that was so cool. 
your your sled exploded. You're so cool. They're all giving him high fives and everything. So it got one run. Hey, now, I have to take exception with something you said. You're never too old to ride a sled. Right? So I am. I never ass- was old enough. I'm I am too cold. assuming being up in the rafters, it's superheated during the summer and then it froze. Oh yeah, in the winter. probably just destroyed the plastic. And so it was just so brittle. But yeah, one run. <laughs> but it was an epic run. It was I awesome. I didn't even think about like the effects of all the heat and cooling on it year after year. I didn't. I didn't either until it was exploding into a thousand pieces. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, science. <laughs> <laughs> so he was the hero. Everybody was cheering. They thought That's awesome. all those kids, all those 11, 12-year-old boys, they thought that was awesome <laughs> to have a sled explode. Not just crack, but like explode. <laughs> <laughs> what about you two, Raven? And Jess, did you guys do anything fun for the weekend? I worked Black Friday at the mall. Huge. How busy was it? It's always busy. It wasn't as busy as last year. Like last year at the front of our store, because it's in three pieces, three separate rooms, you couldn't even move in the first room last year. This year, though, it was just like constant. I don't know if there was just a better flow, um, because the mall opens at 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving and it closes at midnight, and then it reopens at 6 a.m. So, um, I mean, it's still, people are still out shopping. It's still busy. So I, I can honestly say I did not contribute one bit to consumerism over the weekend. Well, and on Thanksgiving, my parents held me hostage for like two hours trying to get a Christmas list out of me. Like, they wow. wouldn't let us leave the table. <laughs> so I finally wrote, because I had to get to work, I wrote... I'll let you know later. And my mom was so mad at me. (laughs) But yeah, I just worked over the weekends, the mall, you know, doing my thing. It's a lot like my weekend. So (sighs) I did, um, well, actually, my Thanksgivings for many years now have been sort of weird because I'm pretty much by myself. Yeah. I hang out with my cat, you know. Um, But I woke up Thanksgiving morning with a brutal headache and I spent most of the day trying to get it to stop i get it to stop you, know you don't what? have to look at us i don't know if i'm you gonna go like this <laughs> on purpose there's not a whole lot of us that like, actually look at anything we yes, but i'm seraphon into space but i'm an i'm an i yeah. engager so i'm sorry I we're not gonna go look, like we're not gonna look back at you then i'm not gonna look at you while That's you're a, talking don't and even you look, can't, just, can't look at me can't look over look at uh, well it's too bad i'm sorry to hear about the headache so but the headache but then uh the storm was a very interesting, all the storming was a very interesting element. In fact, I did, I got to do one of my favorite things to do, which is to shoot hyperlapse, uh, time lapse videos out my window of the storm. Oh, I bet that's it's great from your And I always post them on, on Instagram and, and I know that occasionally I see that people see them. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's, it's fun because with the snow, there's a lot of movement, um, between the buildings, you know, in the environment and it's all going really fast. Um, and you get to see the snow build up on things. You get to see it build up on roofs and, you know, that kind of thing. That's cool. Um, so I did that. And then, uh, of course, um, you know, I'm, I'm desperately trying to, as going back to one of the previous times I the was, still, uh, I was I on this show. Gonna, I was just going to ask you because I've been seeing a lot of pictures. That thing's close, right? The armadillo is essentially done. <laughs> um, the, the, so here's what happened. I, I had this 
fantasy <laughs> that I was going to. So, cause I built, I built, um, a double rail ramp so that I could, I moved it out on the porch okay. at the shop and I built a double rail ramp and I was going to roll it down. And I was going to do the final paint. I was going to assemble the whole thing outside with the tail and head in it. I, just very quickly. Yes. Yeah, so, re- yeah. so re- just remind people because it was quite a few episodes back that we discussed this movie that like you're working on. Hundred plus episodes. <laughs> so, so there's a there's so a. Let me understand this. This has to do with a fantasy and an armadillo. <laughs> yes, yeah, correct. See, yeah, we're in the right. Place. Bernie's hired. <laughs> Bernie's our new co-host. All right. Just want to double check. <laughs> so so basically, there's this film called On the Day That I Died. Ironic. Um, that uh, it's an independent film, local director that we've been working on for a long time. And and the reason it's taken so long is that I pretty much have to do a whole bunch of the work myself. Mm-hmm. And he's very, very precise. So, so I mean, I've, I've built, uh, since we talked then... Signs? I want the signs when you're done with them. Oh, the sign. The sign. The sign. That's what I was, so that's what I've been, that's what I was working on partially over this weekend. So I'm building this um, a Route 66 kind of vintage... Uh, outdoor sign that has uh, fake neon and, and lights and things that we're going to take out to the desert with the armadillo, and then we're going to leave them there. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> and it's all leave to shoot. No trace, Raven. It's to shoot these. No, you see, if you're going to leave a trace, leave an interesting one. Leave <laughs> a confusing one that people don't know. Yeah, you could just build an art project or construct a spiral jetty, and then eventually the state <laughs> tennis makes balls. <laughs> so, so the the uh, anyway, I was going to roll the armadillo off the porch, and I got the front, um, I got the front wheels on the rails, and was starting like just starting and that thing is way heavier than you think it is and it started pulling it out of my hand please and I don't went, tell me it got hit no 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 it, it, i i mean i went six inches down the rail and i said i am not doing this without help so i ended up painting doing the final paint of just the body on the porch um the head is you know i'll i'll, I'll probably do something when they get outside or i might not i don't know it's kind of cool right now because um, it's got this great contrast of colors. The the bronze parts, which are the scales in the middle, are very oxidized bronze, so it's all blues and greens. And then the ends are like iron, so it's very red on red and black on the ends, and then kind of orange or not orange and it's purple, it's yellow, it's whatever color you want. Um, uh, it's very sort of oxidized bronze in the middle, so it's very blue and green. So it's a nice contrast. Yeah, you can see there's a. <laughs> yeah. So so that's done and the sign is getting very close, but that's what I was working on when I finally went back to the shop. But here's the problem. This time of year, see I'm a bicycle guy. I ride bicycle. I live right downtown, so I I bicycle all the time. Uh as soon as there's snow on the ground. It can be cold. I don't care about cold, but as soon as there is snow on the ground, it is a death trap. Because I, that bike will just shoot right out from under me. Yeah. Have you ever seen Better Off Dead? We should build you like skis, <laughs> like the kid has. It's like, give me my two dollars. There's no give me. It's just two dollars as he goes over the edge. I already, uh, I already ride Suicide Row every day. That's what I called Four Fourth West because I ride Fourth West Pies Pioneer Park, and I go, yeah, I, I ride, I, I ride Suicide Alley all the time anyway. I don't need to help the situation. <laughs> so it, just what it means is that I walk, you know, because the, the, it's only four blocks from where I live to, to the shops because, you know, I'm on 4th West, um, 7th South 4th West, so not not far from here. Um, but anyway, so I went in and I'm trying to get the stupid sign done, and it turned out to be a much more complicated project originally than I thought it was going to be. Um, Projects always are like that. 
especially my projects. I don't know uh, what that's about. Uh, but oh, and did they? Did you guys come to my birthday? I did. Why well, you? I know you did. I, know you did. I did your cake. Justice. That's did why cake I didn't look at you and I pointed at them. I did not. No. Well, never mind. We're no. bad friends. Uh, no, it's all right. Um, I was just telling her though that I actually saved the things that she made on for the, on my cake, which was my raven and and the and the and the hammer. I took them off and I have preserved them, and I'm going to preserve them further. Uh, I, I cut them with because they're fond, they're made out of fondant, right? Yes. So this is a, over a year ago, and I sprayed them with crystal clear, and I'm gonna I'm gonna immerse them in uh, in clear resin. Something I thought you'd appreciate it. <laughs> um, but just because I, I appreciated the, the work and they're very cool and I want to be able to hang them up on the wall. That's awesome. How was your Thanksgiving, Brittany? It was delicious. <laughs> I was going to try the- my hand too at smoking a turkey, but the smoker I had was really, really old and it Aww. just kind of. It's a, it's a process. People don't believe me. I'm like, so. I, s- I smoked one as well. It's uh, about a week getting. Yeah. Ready. So the, the Friday before. I was telling people at the office, I'm like, I got to take my turkey out and thought. And they're like, well, how big of a turkey do you have? I'm like, it's like 13, 14 pounds. But if you want to thaw it properly, you thaw it in the refrigerator for like three to four days at least. And they're like, huh. And then, you know, I injected it. I, I brined it first Tuesday night and it stayed in the brine all day uh, Wednesday uh, and Wednesday night. And I pulled it out Thursday morning. I injected it. I, uh, you know, seasoned it and prepped it, shoved a bunch of apples and onions and celery in it, and then I smoked it for several hours, and then I rested it for a couple hours. So did you figure out that your smoker was too old once all that prep work was done, or well, <laughs> did, you have mean, a, did you have a no, contingency plan? I, I did plan? a test first, and, you know, I mean, I did some smoked chicken, and it just barely worked. Aww, so the chicken sad. was delicious. Yeah, but that, <laughs> it is tough. I mean, that's a that's a a big that's a big smoke. It's not like a it's not like a brisket smoke time because turkey when it's whole like that is mm, three and a half four hours. I think mine is four, but I spatchcock yeah. mine. Yeah, I don't. I like I like how you pretty do it what? looks. Butterfly. Butterfly. Oh. Yeah. It's called spatchcock. Spatchcock is the official okay. now you know. terminology. It cooks You it just, cooks have, to, you just have to be around people who... Like if, you're, <laughs> if, if you do a chicken and you spatchcock a chicken, so you basically cut it at the backbone... And then and lay it out flat. And lay it out flat, it cooks in like a quarter of the time on a smoker. It's a fantastic way to do it. Anyway, Jeremy that's, cheats. This isn't the Ours meat. comes out still looking like a turkey. <laughs> However, when I went to pull mine out, like I went to pull it out to smoke it, the legs like just came right off. Yeah, that happens. So it's just fall off the bone by the time yeah, it's done. Yeah, that's how Chris's is. It's just so, so it wouldn't have mattered how I did it because it all fell apart. Just well, he to has to like smoke. keep dumping like the tray as he's carving because the juice just oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's even after others. it rests for a while. Yeah, so. like I said, I rested it for like two hours in the cooler. So um, I don't but, know why we call ours a cooler. We actually don't really ever use it as a cooler. Well, it, it worked double duty. I brined, then I washed it out and, and put the towels in and used it as a, as a warmer. We take our smoking very seriously. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, I need to do smoked mac and cheese again soon. So I did both because so, my, mine's a big chest yeah. uh, smoker. It's like four and a half feet tall. So if I'm going to fire it up, I make it worth my time. So I did ribs as well. Mm. I did ribs with me. Well, and Chris learned that you can smoke a frozen pizza. 
I have. I, okay. <laughs> Yours might work for let, that. Yeah, Bernie, you let, should let try that. You, you might I, have enough guts left. I had in one day <laughs> five different people tell me that I should smoke a frozen pizza, like a, just like a crappy, a like, not a Totino's. Not a Totino's. You gotta get the one with the solid like crust. Like the Red Baron. Like yeah. a Red Baron or a Tony's <laughs> or a Tombstone. Or what's the one, the, is it Papa Murphy where you buy it? Oh, yeah. Take oh, it. I bet yeah. That, yeah. They also said that works really well. I bet you yours but you you smoke it. We're coming uh, back for smoked pizza. Roughly burning. the same same temperature you would cook it at uh, in the oven, but you smoke it instead, and it this is like the best pizza they ever had, and it was just a cheapy frozen pizza. Huh. So uh, five people on in one day, all all separately, by the way, told me this. So. I like that you have that many people in your life that like pizza. Oh, I thought you were saying I have that many people in his life. I've... No. <laughs> <laughs> well, just in this room, there's five people. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, what about, uh, what's going on this week in, in Utah land? In the event category? Or in the next couple weeks, maybe. Perfect. Uh, I don't have a lot just because there are, I mean, not just because, but if you go on like Visit Utah or Facebook and you're looking for events, there are going to be a million different boutiques and markets. Um, festivals. Yeah, but just the boutiques and the markets, um, Made in Utah Festival is going to be at the Gateway. They'll have it in several of the different buildings, and that is over the next three weekends leading up to Christmas. Um, over this past weekend with Small Business Saturday, we really tried to get as many people's names out there as possible. We are the new Utah, and we love talking about local things. So uh, try just to... Buy local if you can. There's so many different opportunities. Um, and I the concur. Made in Utah Festival is a good opportunity to do that. Uh, last week, I mentioned that a, um, a local, I don't know, I don't really want to call her a celebrity, but a local influencer, somebody that takes a lot of good care of the Utah homeless, uh, was in a scooter accident, um, which it, I think that you asked if we knew what kind of scooter it was. It was a lime scooter, so one of those okay, little so scooters. Okay, so it was one of those. I was yep. wondering if it was like a Vespa or like one yeah, of Yeah, so she hit a curb and basically smashed her whole face, um, had to have complete reconstructive surgery. The good news is there was no brain damage. Um, oh, that's really good. Yeah, it was really, really good, but basically her whole face is going to be metal now. <laughs> uh, she is home. There are a couple of fundraisers. Unfortunately, one of them is tonight while we're recording. But one is on the 11th at the Urban Lounge. Um, it's $5 entrance fee. And then, of course, anything that you want to donate. And there are a couple of GoFundMes that we linked to on our Facebook last week uh, just to help with uh, it's a lot of medical costs, a lot of aftercare. Um, but fortunately, she's doing well so far. Um, something that I forgot to mention, Festival of Trees is this weekend. <laughs> and I knew, I think just having Thanksgiving a week later, everything for everyone is a little bit off. But um, that starts on the 4th and runs to the 7th at the uh, Mountain America, formerly Southtown Expo Center. <laughs> <laughs> Southtown Expo Center. <laughs> uh, but it's just really cool to go see all of those trees, um, what they represent, Um People keep telling me I need to do a gingerbread house, but I didn't have time I, this year. I want to understand what Nutcracker Dodgeball is. Okay. I so, <laughs> I know, um, I've heard of Dodgeball, and I know what the Nutcracker so is. So I was trying to find something that wasn't a festival or a boutique. Is it where you throw Nutcrackers instead of Dodgeballs uh, at people? That would be <laughs> incredible. Uh, no. So it's down in Provo. Um, they, it's You can have up to 10 people. 
on your team. It's a hundred dollars to register. And basically it's like a, like a, what do they call it when you just like eliminate Tournament. each people through like, Tournament. yeah. Anyways, so they have prizes and bands and I don't know. That's, well, I, I think, think of right a different word. Duck, I don't duck, I know. Duck, I totally watched that movie the other day. <laughs> want to get hit with a I ball. I love dodgeball. <laughs> I don't get that. Like, anyway, so Bravo, there are still, there are still spaces. A hundred dollars per team? If you have 10, well, 10 people, it's 10 bucks. Yeah, but what do you win? What are the proceeds? Yeah. Go? yeah. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> go play. Who cares? Go play dodgeball. I still. I don't get dodgeball. Also, I, I didn't it. write down the date, so that's so, my fault. But again, what is the nutcracker part of it? It's Christmas. They're just. Named you have that. to dance up like a ballet. You have to dress dancer. like that. Would be cool. You I'm trying to understand you why you have to survive um, being hit by a nutcracker. One more thing. I don't know where ticket sales are at, but just a reminder that. Uh, the seventh is Front Row Film Roast Christmas Story at Bruvies at 9 p.m. So go to that and then get your tickets for January for Raclette's All You Can Eat Cheese. Mm. I kind of want to do it. Do that. Is that the, the first one sold out there? The right? first this one is, is sold out. So, so they added two more. <laughs> I, I have seen. It's so much cheese. <laughs> I've seen so many videos over the last two weeks just randomly in feeds of stuff of people doing Raclette. Uh, cheese. Oh, you can, dumps. yeah. And, and it's not like I haven't gone and sought it out. I haven't typed in raclette. It just happens to be in there. my feet. You've probably like typed cheese wheel. What is that? <laughs> I do, I do look you for do cheese, cheese a lot. What is that place where we ate the panna cotta? Not the panna cotta. The, the cheese? Uh, Jessica, the, at the City Weekly thing, that restaurant where they cooked it in Sicilia the, Mia. Yeah. We need to go there. Yeah, they cook so. the carbonara in a carbonara. big parmesan that was the word wheel. In a big wheel. Chris yeah, wanted a that. cheese wheel for his birthday, and we tried to make it happen, but they're expensive. <laughs> <laughs> they are indeed. We couldn't pull together five friends that wanted to spend Have you had Raclette, Bernie? I have not. You should you, keep an eye out. They come to Fisher Brewing quite often. Do you like on cheese? Sundays. Is yeah. the first question. Yeah, I like cheese. Yeah. Okay. Mm. What do you and think about like, what do you think about cheese that's melted directly under a heat lamp? It's so it's kind of crispy on top, and then like super melty underneath. And, and then they, they just push it onto what you're it eating. onto whatever like you're eating. Like your your potato soup, or it your... sounds like it could be good. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> we'll show we'll show you a video. We'll come get you and take you. They have a cardiologist. Just standing by. <laughs> it's, so it's like five ounces of cheese. I asked them once. That's a lot of cheese. Yep, it sure is. It's but it's delicious. It. I don't think I have any other any other do, events. Do we want to talk about the lights thing now? We don't have to. We I, can. I don't think we need to. No. Nah. <laughs> now nah, I think we've we got have more important things. Yeah, to talk about. We just we, did. We've got enough to talk about with these guys let's today. Let's get to our interview. Yeah. We are very happy this evening to actually be at uh, the Summon Temple. That's how you say it, right? Summum? Summum. Summum Temple. Uh, and we have we have three guests with us from the temple uh, and from the... Is is it just the Summum religion? I don't know how to explain it better than that. More of a philosophy, a philosophy. than a religion. Okay. So, and, and maybe folks listening don't know uh, that we have... We have a pyramid in Salt Lake City. That's a pretty impressive thing. I think we've talked about it like maybe twice over our couple three times. Years. Yeah. Well, we have. We do a segment which we will ask you um, our one thing, and you guys were actually one of the very first one things 
that somebody mentioned on our show when we very first started three and a half years ago. So it was a must, a must see in Salt Lake. And it's not a very, shocked. it's not a very big pyramid, but it's, it's, it's a very perfect pyramid, right? It's very exactly. cool. Yeah, it's designed exactly like the, uh, the pyramid in, in Egypt. It has the exact same mathematics and it's oriented, uh, to true north. And it stands about three stories tall, so works just fine <laughs> for us. I definitely want to talk about it, but I want to talk about the the philosophy and this this organization because you guys are a a nonprofit. Um, uh, I guess uh, do they qualify you as a religious affiliation because uh, you have nonprofit status through that? Correct. I'm not sure. We are five oh one c three. Okay. Like. The Mormon churches. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should do a quick introduction. Yes, yes. Before we go too much further. So you are? I am Sumenu. Sumenu. And I'm uh, Ron Timu. Ron Timu. And I'm Bernie Ayawa. I'm writing it. Writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't talk, it just goes really quiet because none of my other co-hosts know I don't know have a how. microphone. <laughs> just take it from Jeremy. Um, so how did how did the how did the how did Suman begin? Because it's not very old, right? In in the grand scheme of it the was, world, it began in the same year I was born. <laughs> it was started in 1975 by Samam Bonham Amon Ra, the founder of Samam or Corky, we call him. Um, yeah, he had an experience with celestial beings, I guess you could call them. Extra-celestial, he called them. Not terrestrial beings. Um, and he called them the Sama individuals. And they instructed Corky to build a pyramid, begin mummification, begin teaching classes about the principles of Samam, talk about the nectars that we make, uh, for meditation, teaching meditation, all of those sorts of things. Um, and so Corky began reluctantly at first. <laughs> Was it just him? If you read his first encounter, he's the best one to tell you the story. I was just reading over that. Yeah, it, it's really a good is story. That, is that on the website? Because I couldn't get yes. all the way through all your stuff. That's a, it is. By the way, I got to say, that website, for especially for uh, you know a philosophical or religious type organization, is... Quite amazing. Um, it's way, way more informative than most. <laughs> Thanks to Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very good. It's very good. You were going to say something, Jeremy? I was just saying. I'm assuming Corky was on his own at first, or did he have people who jumped on board with what he believed in right off the bat, or was he going it alone for a while? Uh, basically, he uh, kind of went along for a while. First of all, he was very reluctant in doing it uh, because um, at first he thought um, he was going crazy, you know, having this experience. And so uh, he didn't want to do it, and um, he was very reluctant in doing it. But then they keep um, bothering him. They kept getting a hold of him and... Uh, Saying this is something you signed up for. <laughs> obviously, did it in a, in a um, previous lifetime. Obviously, but anyway, he uh, b- began um, starting to talk to people about it, and then um, he started doing classes up at the University of Utah. 
and invited people and, uh, you know, put, uh, you know, little cards on people's car, uh, cars. Uh, the first encounter, remember the first encounter movie? That's uh-huh. about when that was coming out. And so he'd go to the, uh, the movie theater and go around the parking lot and put first encounter the cards on there and got people to go up into, uh, up to the University of Utah and listen to him. That's where you found it, right, Bernie? That's that. That's how I found about some of them, yes. So you left a card on your car? I went to, well, I was going through something in my life at the time, and, um, you know, that's when Star Wars came out, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and um, I had questions about life at that time going on. Things were going on with me, and I found a card on my car that said, come listen to my presentations at the U, and I thought, I got to go check this guy out. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the best thing I ever did. I, at first, I thought, you know, I had heard about people claiming abduction and alien abduction, all that stuff. And I thought, well, you know, probably had the same attitude towards that like a lot of people did. But, and I thought, I got to go see what one of these people are like. And he was very down to earth, um, gave a very intelligent presentation. He talked about things that were very unique but very intriguing and I thought, you know, I got to continue and learn more about this, and that was that. So, I, it's interesting because the way the way you put it uh, was, he had to ask himself, "Am I going crazy?" I don't think I've ever heard, you know, like no one thinks of, for instance, like you know the the Mormon religion. No one thinks of, uh, you know, Joseph Smith going. Am I going crazy? <laughs> like when I'm describing like crazy potential circumstances of how things are being delivered to me, he doesn't say, am I going crazy at any point? So to hear someone say that was a question in his mind is it's powerful to me that that's actually something he's thinking. Well, he actually thought that someone had slipped him some drugs at work. <laughs> Very possible. <laughs> yes, did. <laughs> Very possible in that time frame. <laughs> and I can imagine that, during the time period when he was doing this, especially here, even more challenging than now. I mean, the mid-70s here had to be pretty still locked under the thumb, locked under the thumb less than it than it is now. Um, I'm well, saying the, the, the less, well, no, believe me, I, 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 I'm not from Utah. I'm so. not either, but still. But, but my perspective is that I can see talking to people that have lived here all their lives that clearly things are um a mite more progressive uh, these days. Well and 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 not as not as restrictive as they once were and I can imagine though that would be a very challenging period to be doing what he was doing and saying what he was saying and how did he this is my question how did he how was he able to do this at the University of Utah? Uh he was very persistent. I mean uh uh when I met Corky, it was back in the in the sixties. Uh, we were both going to University of Utah at the time, and uh, and uh, he was a return missionary, very straight laced. Uh, got married in the temple, you know, and I was more in, into partying. But uh, we would go out drinking beer, you know, the dollar pitchers, and uh, we'd all sit around, and he'd always chip in, but yet. Uh, He'd never drink any beer. He'd keep on taking his glass and pouring it when everybody wasn't looking. So he would think everybody was participating. But he was participating, but he was really not. But um, um, anyway, I moved to California in, in 1970, 
1970. But I used to come back here all the time and ski, and um, I'd hang out with Corky, and we'd go up skiing and do things like that. And like I said, he was a very straight-laced guy, and um, I was more into reading different religious philosophy books and stuff like that, and he was, like, totally not. <laughs> and then uh, I came back... Um, 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 one time back in the in the late seventies, and he told me the story he was having, you know, that he had, and uh, I thought he was crazy. But then he told me about the principles, and, and as soon as I told me about the principles, I mean, it got me right on board because you know I'd listen to Maharishi Mahashyogi and and uh, a lot of different gurus because I was living in California and and used to go to these different meditations and stuff like that. And like I said, he was not into that whatsoever. But then when he told me about the principles, I mean, it just kind of tied everything together. So anyway, so, I joined. Interesting. What? <laughs> well, we heard from Bernie and we heard from Ron, but how did Sue find this? Um, okay, well, uh, I was married at the time. Um, and... My husband then um, had a friend who had heard about Corky and uh, told him about Corky. And he went to check it out to see what was going on. And he decided that he felt comfortable with it. And I was my own path, you know, and, um, you know, going to church and all this kind of stuff because I was raised, you know. Same where everyone else was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Except for me. <laughs> well, I was. I not, wasn't raised Mormon either. <laughs> I was not raised Mormon, but um, had to go to church every Sunday when I was younger and all that, you know. But um, so I decided that if I was going to save my marriage, I needed to see what was going on or what this person was talking about. So I decided I would go to a lecture at the U and listen. And of course I thought, Oh brother, what has he gotten him? You know, what is he? Yeah. I, I thought <laughs> this is craziness at first. Um, and I went to a few, they had some gatherings. Sometimes some of them would have little parties or whatever. And I would go and, uh, kind of got to know some of the people, got to know a little bit more about Corky and, uh, decided some of the things he was saying made sense. And, um, yeah, I guess after that, I just decided, I guess this is maybe a little more of what I want. I felt, felt more at home there than I did anywhere else, especially at church. I mean, I would go to church, try and get my kids to go thinking that, that's what they needed in their lives. And um, I just never felt comfortable. Um, and I had been a meditator in my college years and early, you know, um, that's how I met my ex-husband was a transcendental meditation seminar that I had gone to a retreat. And so I was familiar with meditation, but it stopped because I thought, well, I'm going to church now, you know, because that was my upbringing. I thought that was, you know, my family would be so much happier. You know, they didn't agree with the Eastern 
Eastern philosophies, you know. And, um, yeah. So anyway, I started getting involved. You know, it's interesting, like meditation, people think of it as like an Eastern philosophy. But if you think about even like, let's take the Mormons, for example, you know, when they say they're incredibly long, like two minute, three minute, four minute long prayers, and they teach all their kids to be silent with their arms folded. Now, that doesn't mean the kids are actually doing it, but it is something that as people get older and they sit there silently with their arms folded, they're practicing meditation. It's it's very similar in terms of like what their body's going through a lot of the times and their mind isn't necessarily focused always on the words being said by who's ever saying the prayer. And so their their mind begins to wander and that's kind of what tends to happen at the beginning of a meditation is your mind starts to wander until you're able to kind of corral it and, and free yourself in a sense. So collectively, how did your families all take all of this? What were their thoughts? Not well. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you a a funny story. So I played soccer a lot in my life, and I was into competitive soccer back at the time. And, you know, my, my parents were thinking, oh, what has he got himself into? And um, I had injured myself playing soccer. I had pulled my groin muscle. So to try and um, help it to heal faster, I would soak in a hot tub of water. And I was still living with my parents, and my mom opens the door while I'm in a hot tub of water. And she looks at me, and she says, is this something you got to do for this group thing you're in, or what is this? <laughs> and I'm going, no, Mom. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> but um, And so for actually quite a while, um, you know, my parents were really worried about me and what I had gotten into, you know, you know stories about the cults and everything going on. Well, especially back then, yeah. Yes. But... Um, um, we had an office for a little while in California, and I was living down there, and, and Corky would spend time down there, too. And, and one time for Thanksgiving, um, my parents came down, and Corky was down there, and we all had Thanksgiving together. And um, Corky is a really interesting guy. He's a very personal, very charismatic, down-to-earth guy. And my dad was a bricklayer into construction. Corky was into construction. They all just hit it off very well. And um, since... I think that day when they when they got to meet Corky, they still think you know that it's hard for them to grasp the philosophy and everything, but um, that worry that they had or whatever just disappeared. So it was great that they could meet him. That's really cool. Um, I, I'm actually curious about you know when when he when Corky had this uh, vision or or the visit um, and decided to to start building this thing. What was first for for him? Was it was it? I need to build this pyramid. I need to you know talk to everyone about what's happened to me. Like what what was kind of that step for him? What was the the driving force? And what did he do first? I don't know. I think it all came together all at once. Um, I know we had a small pyramid up on the east side for a while that was constructed. But it seemed like the the lectures were going on as well at that same time, and they built the pyramid, the smaller pyramid, um, probably first, or as the lectures were going on. 
Um, and then uh, Corky felt like we needed property because it was actually in someone's backyard, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it in John's yeah. backyard or somebody's backyard? I can't remember. And so then he looked for this property. Is that pyramid still around? No. So did did he live here at one time or no? He just or, yes. So he lived here and then what did the neighbors think? The neighbors actually, I don't know what the neighbors actually <laughs> thought of us, but they liked the fact that we kept the property up. Yeah, I was going to say and well groomed, and they were grateful for that. And we never bothered people. And um, actually, I think Corky had a great relationship with, especially the people next door. Um, and so I don't think there was a lot of animosity in which, the immediate neighborhood. Which, by the way, the property is amazing. The pond outside, and it, it's so peaceful and quiet. And in this neighborhood, it's very refreshing to see such a well-kept property. Thanks. So I, I have a question, actually. Um, so as you probably are aware, this area just next to you has been slated for develop for development, yes. and I'm and and I, I knew the people that had that you know oh. that uh, I we would do business with them that that had the kitchen you know uh, mm-hmm. supply Andrews yeah. Andrews, um, and the question I have is, in some ways you've been able to be kind of insulary here because of of the location, but the gentrification is catching up, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, if they build a like they've been doing everywhere else, if they build a you know multi-story uh, apartment complex or whatever they're going to do, does that concern you? How does that impact what you know the future? That'll seriously bum us out. But <laughs> <laughs> but they're going to do what they're going to do. I mean, you know, we just not, we don't have any choice in that. The reason Corky bought this piece of property because it was uh, zoned M one. And manufacturing, heavy manufacturing, because he was planning on building a winery here. And, of course, the one thing that uh, would uh, obviously stop us from that is the zoning. And so Corky specifically spot, got this place for the M1 designation. And, then, of course, it took him five years to convince uh, the local authorities that prohibition was over. <laughs> and, uh, Wait, he should... convinced them? <laughs> well, actually, it was the federal government that actually convinced them that prohibition was over and to give these guys a winery license. And since we didn't have, uh, they didn't have any rules or regulations on wineries then, because we were the first winery in the state of Utah, that's what our, um, our winery license for Utah is not one. Wow. <laughs> Even though Brigham Young had the first winery here in Utah. <laughs> you were the first licensed winery. Yeah, we were the first licensed winery. <laughs> but uh, they made us comply to the uh, milk codes. That's why the big vats in there are stainless steel, because everything oh. had to be up to uh, milk code. You see the little rays over the uh-huh. freeway there? It's had to be... Uh, you know, so that water can't, you know, contaminate anything. The milk that's in here, right? Even though we have a roll-up door. Yeah, I was going to say, right we got a roll-up door that goes right to the floor. I know, but, you know, it was Utah zoning, and Corky had him over here, and they told him how it had to be, so that's what he built. So, anyway. Interesting. Can you guys talk about that, about the winery? Because you were kind of forced into getting a winery license, right? Because Corky was making... What what you call nectars, which which are wines, but they're used in your meditation, right? Is that what I read? Yeah. So what what was the? Can you explain why they're used in meditation and why Corky started creating them, and a little bit more about them? Go ahead. 
Um, actually, they're called uh, Nectar Publications. And uh, just like the Catholic Church, um, they use wine in, in their ceremonies, mm-hmm. right? But while they bless it during the communion, they actually change that into the blood of Christ. That's why they can give the, the wine to children, underage children, right? That's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, uh, during the, the, uh, the process, the, uh, we get, uh, grape juice from Southern California, usually some, this is the last batch is Australia, but we get nectar, uh, grape juice, and then what we do is, uh, we put it in the pyramid and we meditate over it. And during that process, while the, the grape juice is being transmuted into, uh, our nectar publication, the meditation is, is imbued into the, into the nectars. And so that the, the nectars are used during meditation and they assist the, um, the message that's within the nectars to go past the brain blood barrier and, and, and assist you in the meditation. Just like when you're reading something, um, your eyes are looking at something and it's translating it into your brain and it's changing biochemically in your brain. Um, the nectars uh, were instructed by the, some individuals to Corky to produce these different publications, and so that's what uh, that's what Corky did. And there's there's a set number of of publications, right? That that you're moving towards. Is that? Eventually, there's going to be 27. Right now, we just have a handful. So, and That's and the publications progress. are just used within the organization, right? Correct. Correct. And yeah. so, because you have members outside of Utah at this point, right? Yes. So, are are you because you make it all here? Do you ship it out? Uh, no, to the various we're not places? allowed. <laughs> Utah, you have Utah to send it to the DABC, and then <laughs> yeah. they have to send it. To <laughs> even within, even if, within the religious organization, uh, it doesn't matter. We wow. cannot break the law; otherwise, we will lose our yeah. winery. So we have to be very careful. And at first, they really monitored us. Oh, I imagine because they probably thought all oh, these guys are just mm-hmm. using this as a cover to make wine, right? So, so do the en- entities outside of Utah? Do they make their own? I don't know. I I doubt it. You mean members outside of Utah? No, I mean they'll sometimes they'll travel and come here. Oh, okay. And, and when they're here, and they're able to partake partake of it. So, so I, I read because obviously we just we took a tour inside the pyramid, and you, we can see the vat there. But obviously, you have to, it ages as well, correct? Is it aged in the 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 pyramid as well, or is it aged elsewhere on the grounds? In the pyramid. That's great. That's that's really cool. And you, how how many gallons did you say that vat holds? Uh, that vat will hold uh, five thousand gallons. So are you making five thousand gallons of wine? No. At time? <laughs> no, not, no. I don't know where you store all that wine. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't have the need okay. for that. But uh, yeah. the federal government requires us to make uh, a certain amount every certain amount three every years. so many years right. in order to, for us to keep, keep our, our license. license. Yeah. So how often do you make it? Is it like once every couple of years or once every couple of months or how? Every three years. Every three yeah, years just, just right to maintain the. Mm-hmm. Right. Just keep, keep our license. Interesting. So how many, how many members do you guys have here in the Wasatch Front area? Uh, we don't really collect people. I mean, that's not our thing. We don't proselyte. We don't um, um, try to gather the sheep, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, basic, our philosophy is people come here. Um, 
Uh, people that are interested in learning our philosophy will uh, do a study guide that we have online, but they can sit and, and uh, do it at their leisure. Then learn the meditation. And then, uh, you know, they just go out and live their life because it's, it's about living in, in the real world. And the principles, basically all they are is tools. And if you look at uh, the principles and you read the principles, um, especially if you read the Summon book, Sealed Accepted the Open Mind, you can see that these principles are in every single religion that's out there. And that, I mean, um, basically when you go to church and you're instructed in whatever religion it happens to be, it happens to be a way of talking to the flock about how to deal with your neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. How to get along with each other, how to get along with your children, and things like that. And the principles, basically, they just stick right to it. Like if you had a principle and you were told a story about it, right, then that would could be considered a parable, right? Yep. Because that's what the churches do. There's a particular philosophy or a point of view you're trying to get across. And so you tell a story, and that becomes a parable, or it becomes one of the verses, right, in a book. And then somebody else tells it differently. Like if you tell a story and it goes all the way around the room, it changes, mm-hmm. right? And so you happen to like this version, and you like this version, and you like that version. Now we've got three separate religions plus the one I started with, right? <laughs> right. Yep. And so basically it just depends on um, the culture that you have, whether you're a Muslim or whether you're a uh, uh, believe in the Jewish philosophy or the Christian philosophy, regardless of what it happens to be, the principles are really the same. They're all in the same thing to try to get along with each other, right? And um, so the principles, as some individuals told Corky, it was time to bring the principles back in their pure form. And over time, obviously, they'll get changed and on and on and on, and they'll probably have to be reintroduced thousands of years from now again anyway so you probably have another sect of someone pop up at some point and who knows <laughs> i don't know i'll be long gone in my mama form so, <laughs> well, so is that is that all right if we yeah. if we I, I obviously that's that's an area of interest um can we talk about that only uh, if you talk into the mic no, sorry we can talk about, <laughs> we can talk I'm about gonna make you put it in the stand so that you have to get up there because you keep turning your head but your microphone stays stationary anyway fine without <laughs> yeah now, now it's gonna fall off the table we'll see. There you go. okay is that better yeah that's Much a better. lot better okay so i'll do this Let's see um so let's talk about mummification and what the significance of that is and where that came from in all of this. Because I think that's a fascinating part of this. Go ahead. You guys, you guys are the ones that do the mummification. Well, no. Oh, Did you turn the mic off? There's an on-off There's a, button on the mic. Hello. There oh, sorry. we go. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I bumped it. That's okay. You know, mummification is something that's been around for a long time. We find examples of it around all across the planet. You know, usually people, you know, it makes them think about ancient Egypt because that's where it was most spectacular. But you find mummies in, in, in South America. You find mummies in, in North America. You know, in Europe, it's been all around. And, and if you look at it, um, there's an underlying theme that... Um, is there despite the different cultures 
and that is that um, death is not an end, that it is a continuation, and even though the body has died, there is a an essence, a soul, a spirit, whatever you want to call it, that continues in an eternal progression. And when death happens, that's it's a very critical time um, for the person going through that. And with mummification, um, it helps guide that individual to their next destination, whatever life that may be. And it really doesn't matter what their religious background might be. They're going to a new destination, and mummification can assist them. And part of the mummification is something called a transference, where, where the essence is guided. And during the transference, um, we read what's called a spiritual will. Things that that person has written down while they were alive that they feel will help them make that journey. And one of the principles that um, the Summon Philosophy is based on is called the principle of correspondence, which means there's a relationship between different levels. And we always use comparisons and analogies to talk about things. Well, if we think about when we go on a trip somewhere, we prepare for it. We don't just drop everything and go. You know, we make arrangements to go on that trip so that we it goes as smooth as possible. We get where we want to go, and we, we enjoy it. And it's a similar thing with mummification. When we all die, we're all going to be making a trip. So it might behoove you to make some preparation for it. <laughs> and what's interesting for me is, you know, when I had... You know, most people, when they're exposed to mummifications, ancient Egypt, when I had heard about it, uh, I thought, oh, how weird. And when I heard about how the Egyptians spent their life preparing for their death, I thought, how depressing, how macabre. <laughs> yeah. And then one day I re- realized, wow, and now I understand what they're doing and why they did that. And, uh, and it made perfect sense. That was another thing that intrigued me when Corky had talked about mummification. I said, oh, that's very interesting. And so, um, both you and Ron have um, a background in memorial services in the funeral industry. When you were introduced to this, and you talk about you know finding a journey and having a, a you know a longer purpose, did that was that eye opening for you after seeing just traditional vault and casket burials <laughs> for most of your life? Uh, well, actually, I was just going along in life, and uh, I injured my back. I was out of work. And Corky said to me, uh, this was back in 1988, he says, you know what? We need somebody that's part of our group that can do the mummification. Why don't you go to mortuary science school since you've already got some college behind you and all you'll have to do is a year and become a funeral director. So back in 86, I went back to school, being an old guy, and um, became a funeral director back in 86. And uh, so right off the bat, with the mummification and all of that, I was just kind of the weird duck in school because I believe in mummification. And what was really interesting, in, in when you're a funeral director and you're going to school, you're learning all about the ins and outs. You're learning embalming and the law and the accounting and the... And 
the social work that goes into being a funeral director. And so what was interesting to me is that when I'd sit in class, they would always say that funeralization is for the living. It's not for the dead. And so uh, I would raise my hand and say, um, I think funeralization is for the dead, not the living. And they were not very happy about that. And <laughs> we had some serious discussions about it. But a long time ago, people, when a person passed away, Somebody didn't come and just swoop them away. They were at home. They would be dressed and cleaned and taken care of and at home. And the families would have an opportunity to make that transition from having them with, with them in life and taking to them also into their, to their funeral, whether they were cremated or whether they were buried. And so the families were very much a part of it. But if you look back in some of the old texts, most of the funeralization rituals were taking the dead to their next destination. Even when you look in the Torah or the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 50 where they talk about Jacob, when he passed away, they sent forth to Egypt for the physicians. They brought him there and they, they mummified him. Therefore, they mummified Israel. Now, mummification is an ancient word. It means to wrap and preserve for eternity with resins inside and out. And so they, the Jews, they bewailed him for the 40 days, and the Egyptians bewailed him for 70 days plus the seven days of, of the embalming process. Okay, so they bewailed him for 77 days. Now, when they talk about bewailing, they're not talking about sitting around crying. What they're doing is they're sitting around reading scripture to them. The Jews still sit shiva. Mm -hmm. Person mm -hmm. passes away. It's five days, right? They sit, well, the, as soon as they can get them in the ground. Trust me, I'm a funeral director and I handle a lot of <laughs> Jewish families and they would like to have it happen as, as soon, soon as, as possible. possible. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, even if I have to get them to Israel, a rabbi calls me in the middle of the night, tells me there's somebody who needs to go to Israel and I need to get them on a plane that day. <clears throat> they need to happen. So, um, But it's really interesting that all of these uh, ancient religions talked about that. And so basically they spent time assisting the person from this address to the next address. And so basically that's all we do. We do the same thing. You're cutting out. I'm cutting out? Yeah, you're okay, you man. Are, you but are. you're all right. If you're, it, it, choke up on the mic a little more because when you're grabbing the bottom, I think you're moving the Oh, yeah, just hold up. Yeah, yeah just like you are. Is that yep. better? That's better. Perfect. Because yeah. I can't really tell you what these that's things are. Right. Right. I, I think it's something that is really fascinating and incredible that you offer this is it. Uh, it's the funeral industry has changed and uh, you know where people don't think that they can spend that time with their families anymore. You know, they come in, they take them away. And so we're hopefully <laughs> getting to a more death positive society where people know that they can do these things now. They can spend this time with their family and having that, that process. So teaching them about that the mummification is, you know, a great route. 
I think it's incredible, and it's a good and it's a good option. The nice part about the mummification when my dog Maggie died, who was very dear to me, the nice part about it was I could go through that grieving process with her being mummified and you know going through that whole process it helped me get over that i have goosebumps <laughs> and um you know i think that's one of the things that helps when corky when corky passed away we all participated in his mummification and it really did help heal is it is it weird that when i was in the temple and you were showing us the the mummified uh animals the cats and and the dogs i wanted to pet them me too <laughs> is that like is that a normal thing or is that because I I really did I wanted to pet them because I felt I like, pet Maggie every time I go in there. Okay, so it makes me feel better. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's controversial, but um, have you ever heard of Curlian photography? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So um, supposedly um, images of a life force energy. Well, they've done that with mummies that have produced an aura. So. Um, there is something there. Well, there's a I, there's a a culture on an island in Indonesia, and it's it's one of the more remote islands. But they don't bury their dead for like five years. They they essentially mummify them and keep them in in the house and and talk to them and celebrate them and bring them out into the public and like there's a there's a huge celebration of of the, of the body before they actually put the body to rest in in, in a grave of some sort. I know there's a lot that goes into the process, but can you give us the edited version? Like the, because <laughs> it's fascinating like to me. Notes. Like the literally, what's the process and how do you go through the mummification? Because I'm sure it's not the same as they did back in, you know, forever ago. So it's similar, but different. It's, it's a modernized, you know, for our time, you know, the, 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 the body is washed, the body is cleansed. We, um, um, uh, eviscerate the organs. We, we inject an arterial fluid to push out the blood. Um, the body is placed in a what we call a baptismal font that has preservative, uh, preservative solution and it's kept there. And all that while, the, uh, you know, we, we read to the person the spiritual will. Um, once they're in there for uh, a while, then we remove the body, do a wrapping similar to what the ancient Egyptians do. And the wrappings can be, you know, gauze, silk, whatever. You can even use uh, silk that has certain things embroidered on it, like if someone wanted a message or something, symbols embroidered on there. And then um, once the, 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 the fabric, uh, they're wrapped in the cloth and everything, then we, uh, well, bef- actually before we put the, uh, the, 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 the gauze wrapping, we, uh, we, um, put an ointment on, on the body to an oil on the body. It helps protect the skin and everything. And then we do the wrapping and then we put layers of, uh, uh, rubber on there and then a layer of fiberglass and we sort of build a chrysalis around the person. And then once that's done, we fit them into the mummiform. So a mummiform is a, a bronze statue which can be in their likeness, or it can be a, 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 a casket as long as it meets certain requirements. Um, but uh, like a mama form that is in their likeness, we place them in there. We fill all the empty space with a resin, so they are completely sealed, and then the mama form itself is sealed, welded closed. And, uh, you know, at that point, 
if someone shows to, they could, you know, like Corky, we place gold leaf on him. You could have uh, gems on there, whatnot. And then at that point, the mummiform is placed in a mausoleum. And how long does that process generally take? Is 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 the spiritual reading, the spiritual will, is that vastly different between uh, different different folks? Or is that whole process like a 70-day you know, or 100-day process? How long does that take? Well, for a person, I mean, we're looking at nine months to a year. And the spiritual will is that, I mean, that's, that's a very personal thing. So in one sense, they're sort of similar. In another sense, it just depends on their background, you know, what, what their philosophy of life is, what maybe their religion was, whatever. And the, the thing is, too, is so have you seen, you, you've, we've all, um, like in school, we read about the stories about the fossils they found, the bugs um, oh, yeah, amber. in amber. Mm -hmm. The fossils are millions of years old. Well, these mummies will last for millions of years. I have a question about the resin. <laughs> so is it a modern, like a synthetic resin, or is it a natural resin like the Egyptians would have used? Is it some, like they use kind of an asphalt? It's a uh, very specialized resin. Actually, it's a very slow cure. You know, when you take resin and you condense it, put a large group, it'll get real hot real fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, this resin is designed to go really, really slow. Uh, it's actually built, the resin is actually designed to reinforce bridges underwater to, you know, when they get cracks. So it's a very intense type of resin. And then the resin is also mixed with a silicon sand. And so that helps dissipate the heat. But when we're done, um, I mean, it takes four, uh, 440,000 pounds per square foot of impact. I mean, it's extremely wow. intense. <laughs> it's That's very impressive. intense resin. And the fluids we use are, is completely different than uh, anything that they use in uh, the funeral industry. Like any of the formaldehydes, glutaraldehyde, causes protein linkage and damages the DNA. Uh, the solution we use uh, does not do that. Actually, we borrow some of the chemistry from the genetic engineering world. And it has a very small molecule to it. That's why it can penetrate the body. So when we do the transfusion and, and we replace the, the blood with our fluid, you know, the embalming process, that it permeates every part of the body. And then, of course, when we put them in the, the immersion vat, that also allows that fluid to go to them. If I took a drop of it and I dropped it on your finger, within about 30 seconds you'd taste it in your mouth. Wow. wow. Because your skin is really that yeah. porous, and that's how small this molecule is. So, but well, when they're done, like Corky, you could take him out of, the vat, out of that mama form a um, 100 years from now or 100,000 years from now, and he could have a viewing form. Because what we do is, in the Egyptians, what they did was they drove the the moisture out of the body. They dehydrated. They packed the body in in a natron, which is a salt mm -hmm. from the natron valley, and then they would constantly replace it, constantly to take the the salt out and replace it, replace it, until they completely drew all the moisture out. So when you see an Egyptian mummy and they're all dehydrated, you think how old they are, but actually. Before they started wrapping them, that's what they looked like because they dehydrated them completely. Because what we do is we drive out the oxygen 
using our fluid and then by immersing him in the vat. So when we took Corky out after a year, after he was in the vat for a year, we could have had a viewing. I mean, he looked absolutely perfect. I had a dog that we put in solution, and we left her in there for seven years because we changed the solution a little bit, and we wanted to see how she was doing. And when we took her out to mummify her, you know, wrap her and whatnot, we took her out, and she was absolutely perfect. The eyes were still completely intact. You could, you could sit nice and firm. You could give her the old dog rub, you know. And there's no decomposition whatsoever, and that's after uh, seven years. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. That's, that's getting rid of the oxygen. That's what it'll do. Anaerobic environment. Anaerobic environment. Right. <laughs> I, I'm interested to talk more about the, the pyramid itself. Um, the inside of the pyramid, the the murals that are done on each of the sides at the top, were those were those things that Corky uh, had envisioned doing, or when you you know when the pyramid was built, did he then just go find artists to do specific things? Do you know how those came about? Uh, he instructed us. Oh. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. <laughs> Sue's on top of you. <laughs> she's always on top of us. <laughs> she knows what's going on, keeps us on our toes. That's why she's the president and the rest of us kind of hang out. <laughs> um, basically, he instructed us what uh, he wanted on there. I painted two of the walls, and he told me exactly what they needed to be. Did you see that one wall that had the pyramid? Uh-huh. And what was, on, what was next to the pyramid? Well, there was a... Uh, ellipse with six lights looked like on the bottom of it. Um, well, actually seven. Seven, but sorry, there was middle. <laughs> so it was ellipse. What, else, what, did, what did you see up there? I saw it so quickly I didn't, I, I didn't, didn't pay, catch didn't all the details. attention to it? Anyway, some people, when people look at it, they'll look at it and some people will see like a flying saucer up there with, with seven little mm-hmm. beams under. And then other people, when they look up there, it looks like a hole in the ceiling with seven crystals coming out of it. Interesting. It's exactly that. And what was interesting, I was up on the scaffold painting that and Corky was down on the couch watching me drinking wine, as he always was. <laughs> he said, well, I'll make it a little bit bigger and whatever. And so I was painting the, painting it on there and he says, oh, that's perfect. You just painted a hole in the ceiling. And so, uh, basically, I don't know if my fingers were doing it or his fingers were doing it, but anyway, he's the one that, he's the one that put it up there, so. That's I, I I was just really intrigued by because they're very all three of them or all four of them are very different images and I didn't know if there was significance based on the cardinal directions or what sides they were on or if they were just you know well if you notice the one on the uh, on the north um, uh, I don't know if you're any of you are LDS but there's a little uh, little book called the uh, Pearl of Great Price. Mm-hmm. And in the Pearl of Great Price has that picture up there. And it is the guidance and the transference of this person, taking a person from this address to the next address. And uh, Joseph Smith uh, acquired that by enwrapping um, 11 Egyptian mummies that he bought. Because back, back in the 1800s, people were selling Egyptian mummies that come across, you know, they bring them over and 
people would buy them as kind of oddities and that it'd sit around and have a party and unwrap them. And <laughs> that was a big thing back then, you know. So anyway, but he bought uh, Egyptian mummies and kept unwrapping them until on the 11th one, he found the Pearl of Great Price. It's actually called the Weighing of the Heart Ceremony. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I, I'm curious about the meditations. You know, I, I didn't get enough time to consume all of your website uh, before we came. I, I wish I would have started sooner because I'm, I'm really intrigued by all the stuff that's on there. So you had talked earlier about, you know, when you were younger, participating in transcendental meditations. Um, and that was something, transcendentalism struck me quite a bit when I was reading through some of your stuff and, and how some of the philosophy is very similar to transcendentalism. Um, your, your meditations that you go through, I, I assume there's quite a few more than just the one, right? Because you have the, the basic meditation that you teach, but there's, there's more than that. Yes. And, and, <laughs> and what, you know, what, what are the, what are the, the reasons for the various meditations? Are they all based on your individual principles or are there, there other things that you're doing with those meditations? Well, I think probably the meditation is given to you when you're ready to move to it. You don't just get it. Um, it is given to you when you're at a certain point. And it's like when you were young and you played with little dolls and you got tired of the little dolls and you grew up a little bit and decided, I don't want to play with dolls anymore, and you put them down and you decided something else was better. It's kind of the same thing. We move through the different meditations as we grow. Okay. Okay. And, uh, you know, we can't really tell you what the meditations are. We will not talk about that. <laughs> That's one thing we won't. <laughs> which, which I'm, I'm perfectly okay with. Um, and you guys do, uh, you guys do, uh, a philosophy discussion once a week here? Every Wednesday like? evening at 7 p.m. And how, how does that go? Is that similar to the lectures Quirky used to give up at the U or is it something totally different now? Well, no one can do it the way Corky did it. <laughs> um, so what we do is we just introduce some of them, talk, talk a little bit about why it was founded, just a brief introduction to it, and then we kind of just uh, introduce the principles briefly to everyone, have a discussion about it, um, how they can be used in their lives just briefly, and tell everybody that if they're interested in reading more, they may go to the website, download the book. Um, and that's about it. And when, when we don't have people that are new, that's usually when we have people that are new. When we don't, we read different books, different philosophies, um, because it's fun to discover how the principles are everywhere in the texts. We've read many books, uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead, uh, the Kabbalion, well, not the Kabbalion, but the Kabbalion, um, what else have we read? <laughs> we've read a number of books by Osho. Yeah. Um, we've read what the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, yeah, the Bhagavad Gita. Um, I mean, a lot of different things that we've read, and every time we read them, we find the same thing. As a, They're just told in different ways because the person or the master that was giving them was trying to relate to the people that he was talking to. So the parables might be a little different, but 
What are the seven principles? The principle of psychokinesis, the principle of correspondence, the principle of vibration, the principle of opposition, the principle of rhythm, the principle of cause and effect, and the principle of gender. You just threw those out there. You you know them well. <laughs> well, I... You're not the president of the organization for nothing? <laughs> These guys could do it, too. I'm sure. <laughs> well, you guys live it, right? It's It's been what you've been living for years and years and years, right? Since the 70s, really. I mean, when when you look at the principles, I mean, as straightforward as they are, um, there's a really a great depth to them and that you can continually discover things. You know, it, it's a continual learning process and there's always more and there's always more and there's always more. So, so now with this, with this area, with the property, with what you're doing with the, the mausoleum, um, you know, it, it, it's not just you three, I imagine, that, that manage everything here? Or is it just you three? Maybe I'm wrong. Well, pretty much us three. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. This is a big, this is a big space and there's a, there's a lot of things here to, to manage. We do have some help from people who have come and discovered some of them and, uh, you know, feel like they like to spend time here donating their time. We all have donated our time. We all have jobs. Um, and, but, it was like Corky said, you discover it in the work and you become close to it in the work. And it's extremely true. I mean, people don't understand that at first. How is it in the work? Work? Who wants to do work? <laughs> but I've seen it um, happen in people's lives and how it has changed them, how it changed me. Um, and so made me more comfortable with me. Well, if you enjoy what you're doing, it's not really work. Right. And the work is also a meditation. Corky always talked about the working meditation. You can make a meditation. Well, how do people find out more about you guys? What's your website? Just go on the web. They discover us on the Internet. Summum.us. And it's one of the first 100 websites I hear. Sure. <laughs> we'll say it is. <laughs> We actually, so we have, I mean, someum.us is the, the main website. We have um, a website with a lot of videos of, of the, the presentations that Corky gave at someum.tv. We also have another website called kphi.org, which has audio of a lot of classes. Um, where we're slowly, I mean, I've been slowly, you know, digitizing cassette tapes. Anybody remembers <laughs> what a cassette a pro- tape that's is? a process. <laughs> we have cassette tapes and we have VHS videotapes that we need to convert. Yes. One day we'll, <laughs> you know, little by little we get a little more online and uh, people will discover it. I love all the peacock feathers, too. They're, they're, they're just such a beautiful feather, and I know where you guys get them, so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we uh, we always ask all of our guests this. Um, you guys all live in Utah, right? And you've been here for a while, so I presume you're going to stay here. Um, what's one thing that each of you would tell someone visiting the state of Utah that they should do before they leave? 
<laughs> come and visit Salem. <laughs> yeah, come and visit Salem. We have a lot of people that go. I, there's, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of sites. Can you hear it? Your mic it was breaking. Yeah, it's because you keep grabbing the metal it's part. It's me that's go. breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of there's a, there's a couple of different uh, websites that uh, talk about you know things to see when you're in Utah. What's that one that people keep coming over here for? Oh, yeah, there's one Atlas Obscura. Obscura. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Utah is a really great state. There's so much here, the mountains, and then travel a little down south, and you've got the beautiful Red Rock and everything. You know, you've got, I spent summer after summer up at Bear Lake with that beautiful turquoise blue water. Um, yeah, and there's a lot of neat stuff here. What about you, Sue? What would I tell them to do? Uh-huh. Go hiking. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone in that. Well, like Jess said, you guys were actually one of our our one of our first guests, early guests. One thing uh, they said to come see the the Summon Pyramid uh, and to come see you guys. So that's actually how we heard about you originally several years ago. It's funny because people will pass the pyramid and not even know it's here for yeah. years, yeah. and then one day they see it, and so it's interesting, isn't it? How uh, suddenly when they're ready. When they're ready, they see they see what's there. Well, we thank you guys so much for for having us here. Um, it's been really special for you guys to open the doors and let us look and talk to you. We really don't have a lot of secrets. <laughs> <laughs> People think we do, I guess. Well, I don't know if it's much secrets. It's just interesting to to be able to experience it, you know, like this. It's just inside. so unique. Yeah. Well, all our classes, um, both the Wednesday and the Saturday classes, are all broadcast live over the Internet, too. So anybody that wants to uh, find out about us or just all they have to do is just go to summum.tv. It's on summum.tv and then just uh, log on and they can watch the class. So we don't hide anything. So <laughs> it's all out there. Well, I think it's all I think it's all good content, too. At least all the stuff that I've read. I'm I'm super interested now. So. Well, thank you guys. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Taking thank the you. time. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks again to uh, to Bernie and and Ron and Sue, uh, the the folks over at uh, at Summon. And for the is it Summum or, or Summum or Summum how, or Summum or is it how Summum. Summum. Okay. As in the sum and also, we didn't think you had secrets. By the way, we just really wanted to get to know you better. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just that. Um, you know, when, when something is not understood by people, they start... Talking. How or assuming. assuming. It's telephone. Yes. No, no. That's what we, we don't want people to assume. That's why we wanted to have a educational chat with you. And sure. just because you are part of the Utah community, we're glad you are. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, so. my boss is really, really waiting for me to come back because he was like, that sounds so cool. We were looking at your website today. You know, I never thought to. So Bernie, the IT guy. Your website really is cool. <laughs> I mean, I know that that sounds really dumb, but it's it's laid out well. It's easy to navigate. Yeah. You don't have to Super think about informative. it. I hate when I go to a website and I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's under this one. Oh, that's not what I wanted. My website's been a work in progress since 1995. All websites should be. <laughs> I went to the bookstores looking for a book on what's called HTML. Yeah. Yeah. And I found one book after going through <laughs> yeah, two it like five, five pages bookstores. long. <laughs> it was awesome. a good book. Good. 
Well, and, you do a good uh, job. And now when you go to the bookstores, you have shelves and shelves and shelves of... And no one codes And no HTML one still... Anymore. They still make crappy websites. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> Is it, are, do you still hand code an HTML? Yep. Are you serious? But I have to say that, you know, now with, with you know, mobile technology and everything, I do use some of these frameworks that are available so that it works because that gets pretty complicated. Yeah. Okay. So you don't write in like Reactor or Angular or anything like I, that natively? No, but I mean, I, I have, you know, written JavaScript before. Okay. I still do the HTML JavaScript. Asking the nerdy questions. of because Chris a, works in IT. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I work with the guy who's, he's been working with React and yeah. So I, I'm really, I am really thankful that you guys let us come and talk to you. Yeah, it um, was amazing. I, I was going to say, you know, when I, when I first think of like uh, a religion, for lack of a better word, that has only been around since the mid seventies. Obviously the first thing that comes to people's mind is like, Oh, it's a cult, but nothing that I read, uh, on the site, nothing from talking to you guys from seeing stuff even comes close to that, to that. It's actually comforting. I like the being drawn to it. I really, I think that a lot of people are not open to that. And so for the people that are coming to you, like clearly you, you, are supposed to be in their space and I just think that's really awesome that you get to be here. I think it's funny that you wanted to pet the cats too. (laughs) Seriously, I I thought... Sorry, I know compliments make people uncomfortable but I'm not kidding. I I was like, is it weird? Like I, I, like I wanted to touch them and, and like I'm trying to be respectful because it is a, Cause it yeah, is a you temple. don't want to just touch everybody's things. But then you, you, then you tell me and I ask and we touch them and that's fine. But I'm, I seriously just wanted to pet them. So not just touch them, but like I wanted to pet its yeah. head. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question about the pyramid. Do you refer to it as a temple? Yes. Cause we, we were parking down the street <laughs> and there, and I, and that's how I referred to it. And there was, um, a parking enforcer out in your cute little car encampment that's down the street. And, and I said, are we okay to park here to go to the temple? And she looked she at us like, at us. you guys are in the wrong neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and she thought, and she actually admitted it. She was like, Oh, she's like, it is a temple. She's like, I didn't, I, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she was so just like, typically when people ask me about the temple, yeah, she, you know, and she's like, but it is, she's like, you're absolutely right. And I was like, good changing minds. Our temple. It's one block it's at a, a time. Sanctuary. Yes. Sanctuary. I like that. Well, that's what a temple is, right? Yeah. So. Well, I was actually for some I, religions. I, I was <laughs> I was glad we were able to see it because I I was trying to envision like, well, is is Corky like underneath it in a mausoleum under the temple? And then when I see the mausoleum out here, it made a lot more sense. Um, and it, I was like, I don't know how they store. I still don't know how you guys do all of the winery and the storage and stuff in there because it's it's not that big on the outside, but it is quite large on the inside. It, it's really it's very roomy when you go in. It yeah. looks that way. So well, we do thank you guys. Um, if uh, if if you like what you heard on the show, uh, please um, share it. That's that's what uh, we all appreciate the most. That helps us the most. Um, don't don't forget that you can uh, ch- if you want to learn more about some of them, uh, you can go out to their websites. Uh, the, there's very 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 many of them. The summon.us and summon.tv uh, seem to be the ones that are. The most likely to get you a lot of information real quick. You can see the lectures on the summum.tv. You 
uh, were mentioned that you're a nonprofit. Do you guys take donations, charitable yes. donations? Mm-hmm. So this, uh, this really quick, even though it's Tuesday and it'll be over, it's still important through this time and through the whole year was giving Tuesday. So I put a link to, uh, some nonprofits on our Facebook, but also this would be a fantastic nonprofit to donate to this time of year. And you can always contact them if you're interested in, in mummification. Uh, or, or anything that we talked about today, I'm sure they'd be happy to talk to you. Um, I'm just going to speak for you, Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the rest of this month, um, we're a little light on guests on purpose. Uh, we have uh, coming... We have one guest. Yeah, coming uh, later this month, we have our best of recaps. For uh, City Weekly. For City Weekly. Woo-hoo. Uh, and their best of so and uh, one one more infamous Utahn yeah. for the year. One more yeah. really bad infamous. We haven't picked it yet, so maybe it's you. <laughs> it could be ra- you, she looked right at Raven when she. I didn't look at anybody. I told Are Raven you, I wasn't going to look at him anymore because he keeps looking away from his microphone, trying to make eye contact. Yes, but see, look what I'm doing now. No, see, I'm not looking. <laughs> see, I've now. been looking at the picture. But I've learned how to track my mouth around the microphone. See, there you go. There you go. Uh, so thanks for listening, and uh, again, share it. Uh, you can uh, reach us on Twitter and Instagram at TNU Podcast. If you have something coming up and you want us to share it or talk about it, uh, you can also reach us on Facebook, the New Utah Podcast, or uh, out on our website. You can find all sorts of information on things like the the pyramid here at Summum, uh, and all of the one things that all of our guests have talked about, and that's just the dot com. Thanks, Chris.